And welcome to this very exciting episode of the First Touch Podcast. I am here, your host, Nate Canan, alongside Tyler Brooke. I gotta say, it's great to be back here on this dark and spooky night, in case you hear any uh, kinds of thunder claps in the background. It's a uh, rainy time and the um, time that we're recording this podcast. Uh, we've, we've taken a little break here, and I'm just glad to be back talking to all you lovely people. I know Tyler just got back actually yesterday. You were over in the great state of Colorado. Yeah, man, it feels very good to be back. It feels like it's been a month since we've recorded it, honestly, and so much has been going on. But yeah, I was in Denver uh, visiting a couple college roommates, and it was a really good time, except for the fact that at one point I spent my dinner outside uh, eating and avoiding ash. Because there has been so many fires out there that it's just it's just really gotten out of control. It's honestly pretty pretty messed up. That's weird. Like you weren't any danger, right? No, uh, Denver and Boulder, where I was, were pretty fine. It's just that a couple days, smoke was like pouring over the mountains, and I know I started looking up a lot about this. A, a fire did start in Boulder while I was there. Like it um, just began the during the time that you were there. That's crazy. At least that fire did, but I mean. My little brother also lives out west of the state in Glenwood Springs, and they've been dealing with fires for a couple months now. Currently, I think it's over 200,000 acres of Colorado are currently on fire. That's that's so upsetting. You know, you hear so much about like these fires in common days. I feel like every single year, especially between like the, the drier months, like any time between spring to the end of fall, there's always some kind of narrative of some kind of wildfire out in the you know west coast of the country but i gotta say i feel like i've heard very little to anything on the national coverage about colorado it's mostly just california it is strange to me that it's not being covered as much but in all fairness there is a lot of other things going on in the country right now so i think there's only a limited amount of time to talk about stuff and we choose to spend that limited time talking about the beautiful game of soccer. Yes, I understand completely where you're coming from. <laughs> do we do we have to talk about it this week? Like we could have just delayed another week, man. I still need I still need time to process what happened this weekend, and I think you do too. It was a crazy week back to say the least. You know, we're coming off of the international break. That's kind of why we timed it up to, you know, take a break here ourselves. I don't know about you, Tyler, just by being like an American fan. I'm, of course, I'm interested on you know what happens with like these international European teams. But of course, first and foremost, like I'm a homer team USA when it comes to anything international. Like that's what I'm I, I get excited about. So I don't really follow much of the this like European breaks whenever they happen. The only thing that I pay attention to is just, you know, please let my players stay healthy. Like, I just don't want there to be any unnecessary injuries. So that that's kind of where my mindset's at during this time. Then the international break's always weird. I know we're starting to get into World Cup qualifying and things like that, and I can't wait. But like Nate said, I mean, I just only give a shit about Americans when this time of year comes around. I want to see the guys, and fortunately, we'll get to see a lot of them in the Champions League. It would just be nice if we can see them all together. I'm very curious to see how they play all together the next next time they all meet up. There's never been 
this much excitement, at least in my mind, from how many American players that we have in the Champions League tournament right now. But before we get to all that, I know we have Champions League starting up this week at the time of recording, uh, but it, it was just a very odd weekend, to say the least, about the Premier League in general. I feel like we should spend some time, before talking about like the last-minute upsets, talking about a more controversial draw of the Merseyside Derby. So, of course, you know, your team's up there in the Merseyside County up in Liverpool. You have Everton, who's at the top of the league, taking on the previous champions of the Premier League, Liverpool Football Club. What happened during that? Like, there is there, there is a couple of VAR calls that didn't seem to make sense. And then, you know, you had you have one of your biggest superstars looking like he might be out for a few months now after this game. Uh, he's expected to be out the rest of the year. Uh, we're obviously talking about Virgil van Dyke suffering an ACL injury and did require surgery this week, which is just absolutely gut-wrenching. That was the first controversial VAR one. Essentially, Pickford, a very ugly tackle into Verge. They said because he was theoretically offsides, there was no penalty on Pickford. Essentially, Pickford kind of slid with his legs and caught Virgil's knee early in the game and Virgil had to get subbed off and that didn't seem good at first but then to get that news that he will not play for eight months is just it's absolutely crushing the defense had already been struggling I honestly don't know how you recover from that you have such a dominant offense and midfield and a big part of I think Liverpool's record-breaking clench of the Premier League title came from just how defensively sound Liverpool is in general and we've talked about before how Trent Alexander-Arnold was coming off an injury at the beginning of this season and hasn't really seemed to hit his groove yet. And now you have another major key player in that back line, Virgil van Dyke, being gone for the rest of the season. I don't know what that, that defensive line looks for you. Is there any players that you think that can help improve what's going on back there? Or do you think that at this point you're just going to be happy for a top four finish? Yeah, I don't trust Matip and Gomez as the only two center backs. Uh, the one rumor I did see I think is very interesting is Opamecano with RB Leipzig. And the it's actually kind of wild. The only reason I remember that name is he just was played so well in the Champions League last year or just even a few months ago. I was just very impressed. And it was just like a impartial fan watching. So the fact that all of a sudden there's now these rumors linked, I am praying we get a guy like that to replace Virgil. We just need some kind of star power in that center back position. Uh, to really, I think, you know, have a chance at, you know, securing a top four spot and hopefully having a chance. I don't know how we can rule this one offsides. Like, I'll give that to you. I don't know how that was an offside call there. There was a very crucial moment of the game that completely changed the outcome of this because of just a blown call. Yeah, literally the game winner, and they say that Sadio Mane is offsides, and I get that the rules must be concrete. It's either offside or it isn't. It is just science. And every single angle they showed, and they do those stupid fucking lines where they're trying to measure it up. He's not like it, it, he's very clearly not offsides. Like I don't, can't even visualize or understand why that was disallowed. Just absolute chaos to end that match. You know, Richarlison getting the red card as well. Just I can't believe that's that's how they draw. That's what we need to do is get a VAR line drawler as a guest on this podcast and walk us through exactly what that mental thought process is of what is an offside because it's not like we're naive here and not understanding it. I don't think any seasoned soccer fan gets it because 
I just don't know what the underlying motive is here. It's like, are we just trying to, like, I, I get there's a lot of passion on the games, and as a person that grew up playing soccer and watching it to some degree, I know that there's a level of, like, there's give-me calls, like, if there was something that was missed and not understood before, referees do try to make up for it at some point later. Maybe that's not the most... uh you know, if we, we, we put everything to the science of a Bible, of a rule book, of whatever we want to call it, I don't know. It's it's just, it's just once again, like, you know, I, I'm frustrated for you. I'm frustrated because it's just changing the game that I love in a direction that you can ruin your, your weekends from some call that just doesn't make sense rather than just the actual pace of play of the game. Nothing's going to change anytime soon. And to your point, unfortunately, and we will get into this a little bit later as well, we won't be able to interview any video assistant referees because they're not allowed to talk publicly. And again, that's a subject that we will cover a little bit later. Uh, Nate, I know we got on a whole rant about Liverpool. We're pretty bad at this sometimes. We should probably explain what the rest of the episode is today. Yes, we're so bad. And I apologize to all you lovely listeners of the FTFC podcast out there. It's about, you know, almost 15 minutes into the show. And we're like, what's the direction of this podcast going? Well, we have a great episode here for you. Rest assured, now that we're back, uh, we're going to hop back into some more of the Premier League games. I feel like there's a few draws that we should talk about, as well as, you know, having Gareth Bale back on the pitch for Tottenham this past weekend and the dramatic comeback that West Ham United had as well as we're going to talk about some of the initiatives that are going on right now to change around some of the leagues that are actually spearheaded currently by Liverpool, Manchester United. We're talking about Project Big Picture. That was actually recently shot down. Uh, I know I had some questions about it. It was actually something that was in the works for a few years now, but I definitely feel that it's worth covering and you're going to be excited to hear a little bit more information. And that transitions into what is breaking currently of the European Premier League. You might have some questions on what that is. You're going to want to stick around to that. It's pretty similar to the Champions League, but a little different. And then, of course, we got around the net and we have some interesting topics to cover there some things that in terms of personal moral judgments that you know I'm still questioning what happened we're going to talk a little bit about Sergio Aguero over in Manchester City I know that's blowing up soccer Twitter right now and then you know rest assured we got everyone's favorite pub of the week here at the end we're actually going to shout out a uh, spot um, where you were over in Colorado yeah hell yeah can't wait for it and again apologies to the listeners uh, you know when Liverpool gets screwed over Tyler's just going to come in hot so the teaser can wait for the rest of the episode but what a, what a week to take a break man I mean I just want to list out some things that happened if that if you don't mind Nate oh of, of course take the platform and go ahead <laughs> so just like as far as just like headlines that we missed when we took a break Virgil van Dyke torn ACL Liverpool screwed by VAR Everton still top of the league Tottenham absolutely collapses in their match against West Ham Cristiano Ronaldo gets COVID the Premier League is trying to shake up the football world and create their own leagues. Just like, what a week to take some time off. At least it makes our job easier. We don't have to scramble to, uh, you know, find stories out there because there's a plethora out there. Yeah, oh, I mean... No, don't tell our listeners. We never scramble. We take three months before each episode. Extensive research. It's called research. We have to spend a little bit of time talking about Ronaldo and COVID, right? Like, he's the best player in the world aside from maybe Lionel Messi. And you, you not only did he get COVID, 
which he's one of the goats of the game. You have the line of the game coming off COVID as well as Latan Ibrahimovic, right? Like these these people that you you expect to be you know untouchables in terms of the just the level of stardom that they have are still real people and get you know infected from this virus, unfortunately. And I I was very curious about Juventus about how Juventus was going to handle the absence of Ronaldo and Weston McKinney. But you know what? Lo and behold, Juventus pulled it off on Tuesday against uh, Dynamo Kiev. Not that that's going to be like an upset, but with them down so many men, they got a solid 2-0 victory. Maybe they'll be okay without Ronaldo if he ever leaves in the future. The competition itself wasn't the most fierce for a historic club like Juventus. They even had Paulo Dybala was also on the bench during this game as well. And you know they ended up taking away the win. I, I just think that it was just a surprise for a lot of people. It was a surprise for Ronaldo. He even went on to say that he was taking every necessary precautions and he was a little confused to how he tests positive for COVID. But, you know, it, I think it just goes to show that, you know, that this virus can you know, hit you when you least expect it in some ways. And I just hope that, you know, everyone out there listening is still, you know, being careful and being safe out there. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. You know, if Ronaldo and Zlatan can get it, two of the most protected super athletes in the world. You know, you can get it. And this is the last that I'll say on this topic. I just need to shout out to one of my favorite players, Zlatan, again. Not only does the man come off COVID, the way that he handled COVID was something like I've never seen. He he literally tweeted that COVID should be afraid to infect him just to <laughs> intimidate the virus. And then with his first game back, the man scores a brace. <laughs> you know? Yeah, two goals within like three, four minutes of each other too, and to win in the like the Milan Derby, man, like that's big time Zlatan energy for sure. You know, I am, and I might end up cutting this out of the podcast, but maybe Trump's right. Like after you get infected by the virus, you just become stronger. Oh God, please cut that. I don't know how to cut that <laughs> well, I think that's enough talk about Zlatan and Ronaldo. You know, that's all we ever hear about when we're not talking on the podcast. So we want, we like to try and mix it up over here. So rounding it back to the Premier League, I mean, I think it's about time, Nate, that we do have to talk about what the hell happened with your boys. I got to say, it was a very exciting match. I was on the Facebook group of the Chicago Tottenham supporters after, and there is a member on there uh, who summed it up pretty well, and I couldn't agree more. He's like, well, for all you new fans, you just got to realize that it's just another day being a Tottenham fan. It's Tottenham. like It's just what happens. You, it, it, it's very frustrating to see the level of skill and performance to only be shadowed by an utter collapse of just loose play. You see Hungman's son again score a great goal from a setup from Harry Kane, which has just been the best duo in the Premier League so far this year. You have Kane so far beyond any other player in terms of assists. You have Hungman's son tied for the most amount of goals in the Premier League at this time, and they're doing what they do best. And then Harry Kane also scores two goals in the first half, and you're walking into halftime after the first 45 minutes feeling great like I was online I was ready to buy Gareth Bale jersey because I knew he was going to come out and I was like you know it's going to be a great day for his return 
So then fast forward to the second half of the match, and what you've been waiting for since you've heard the news back in September, Gareth Bale takes off his trainer's jacket and he stands on the sidelines, and they sub off Steven Bergwine for him to come onto the pitch. Touches the ball a couple of times, looks good, trying to keep up with the pace. You could tell that the intensity from the first half of the match just wasn't there, and then off a set piece, West Ham gets a goal in, and you're like, okay, you still have the two-goal buffer. It's going to be okay. And then you have Sanchez make a terrible move of a header in the box and scores an own goal against Tottenham, and then things are starting to look a little scary. And then you're at the end of the game, and within the last minute, you got another goal that goes past Hugo Lloris, and what Let me happened? just say something about that Lanzini goal, though. That final equalizer in the 94th, like, that's a goal of the year candidate, man. Like, that was an absolute snipe, top corner. That That's one of the best goals I've seen in a minute. It, it's great, and I'm going to say this, and again, like, we, we talk about our fandoms a lot, and, like, this podcast is about celebrating the beautiful game, and... I know I hate on a lot of other London teams. I can't do that in this instance because I know that that was Tottenham's game to lose at the end. I I really enjoyed that goal. As a casual fan, that would have been an amazing game. Uh, with someone without any skin in the game in terms of fandoms and allegiances, I if I were to point to any game that past weekend, that would have been the game to watch and what what an entertaining, you know, 90 plus minutes did you have? And one last thing that I'll say about West Ham too, they, and that's why it's even more upsetting that you know they were able with you know the the a superstar like Garrett Bale on the pitch to come back to you know bring that game to a three three draw, is they were in contingency to get kicked out of the Premier League, and yeah. they're such an historic team, and especially again with Villa. Second in Premier League, Aston Villa, another team that was struggling at the bottom of the table last year where you were coming out of Project Restart thinking, you know, is West Ham going to leave the Premier League? Is Aston Villa going to leave the Premier League? Now we have Villa in second and, you know, West Ham United showing that it can still perform with the top teams in Europe. I got to enjoy that just for the sake of the competitiveness of the Premier League. As much as it leaves me to be heartbroken as a Tottenham fan, seeing Gareth Bell's return like that, being so overshadowed by a 3-3 draw, it is something that is worth celebrating to a degree because you, if, if you just love the competitiveness of the sport in general. It's just it's wild to me that Aston Villa, West Ham, and Leeds United are all ahead of Manchester City at this moment on the table. How about Never it? Never would have guessed that. Never would have guessed. That's, that just makes it exciting, though. A- any person you would have asked would have never, never thought this last year. And that's why, that's why I'm here for it. And again... Bundesliga Borelli pisses me off once a week trying to make some kind of argument that the Bundesliga is so competitive and good and you know then we see <laughs> you're like oh you got to watch Dortmund you got to watch Bayern Munich and it's still the same song and dance that it is every single season and yes they're in the Champions League and I get that but you see these other teams that are having, you know, having their day in the sun, and I love it. I love it. I, it's just the the fact that anything can happen. I think we need to start paying more attention to La Liga as well. I mean, if we're talking about tables, that one's an absolute clusterfuck right now, man. I mean, you look at it. If you're looking at it right now at the time of recording, Real Sociedad's first, Villarreal second, Real Madrid is third, and then you keep scrolling down, and you got Atletico Madrid in eighth and Barcelona in ninth, Sevilla, the Europa League champs, in 10th. Like, all of a sudden, La Liga's 
looking pretty interesting as well. I'm honestly wondering if COVID is just having a massive impact on parity in all these leagues. That's an interesting conversation, and maybe we should kind of kind of do a, a review on this later. I would love to have Will Carroll back maybe in a future episode to kind of talk about. He was the guy that really started this whole podcast off with us talking about fan engagement in COVID. I know you and I had a conversation offline about like the NBA bubble, the NHL bubble as well. And on paper, the teams that were best ended up winning those leagues. And here we are with the ways that we see all of these European soccer teams kind of throwing you know, some of these titans, these giants of teams into a flux like Manchester United, Manchester City we talked about. And I got to say, probably not having the same kind of, you know, intensity walking into these stadiums without them packed with fans, without them having the chance week after week, that's got to be to the benefit of the underdog at this point. It's very interesting, and I think I think this is a good segue into what we wanted to talk about next. Uh, when we're talking about these underdogs and making sure that they're represented and that they're standing out, there have been some aggressive proposals uh, introduced lately that might have an impact on some of those smaller clubs. I was really surprised to actually see this. It really came out of nowhere for myself personally. Some of the major Premier League clubs are really the ones, you know, behind behind the league potential league movements and changes that we're gonna lay out to you. First we're gonna bring up what is called Project Big Picture. This was a blueprint that would have seen the Premier League reduced in size from twenty clubs to eighteen reducing the number of domestic top flight fixtures each season. This is honestly a very interesting concept, and this was actually initially proposed by Fenway Sports Group in 2017. And for those who know, that is the American sports group that owns Liverpool. We actually talked about that in a previous episode about American ownership. The concept not only would reduce the Premier League from 20 to 18 clubs, but it was also planning on scrapping the EFL Cup and the Community Shield. So the idea was essentially to help fund lower tier leagues at the expense of giving the top flight clubs more voting power in future decisions such as finances, rule changes, etc. So essentially, they would be giving more voting power to the nine most established Premier League clubs, those being Arsenal, Chelsea, Everton, Liverpool, Manchester United, Manchester City, Southampton, Tottenham, and West Ham. Essentially, the rule would be that only six of those nine clubs would need to vote for any major changes. So essentially, if there was six of those nine that voted on anything, that rule change or anything like that would get approved. So even though this was something that's been in the works since 2017, it really only came to light within the past week. It really has been denounced as a backroom deal by the government ministers involved in this, and it was actually just as abandoned as quickly as it was brought up. Personally, I do see some pros and cons with this. Pros, Obviously, we want there to be more funding to those lower-level clubs. There's a lot of other teams with great history and great potential out there, and especially during a time like COVID, where a lot of these minor teams rely on the funding of ticket sales, they have to be hurting right now, and I can completely sympathize with that. However, I do think that there is a little bit of danger with putting set in stone who the top dominant clubs are within the Premier League. Within those nine teams that you mentioned, when I think of Premier League, I think of those teams. However, because of the way that we have the relegation system, 
the the big draw to me of just soccer in general is this system and how effectively it works. If we're going to say that these are the nine teams that are going to dictate everything, do we see there ever being the scenario of, say, Blackburn, right? That's a team that is no longer in the Premier League that actually won the Premier League title, right? And if we're going to say that you know these teams are the ones that matter, what happens when another team comes around that doesn't really fit that mold? It just doesn't really rub me the right way. So reading more into it, I think there's a reason that it's Liverpool and then uh, eventually Manchester United were pushing so hard for this. This actually is sound, as great as it sounds, giving more funding to these lower tier leagues. What this would have an issue for, in my opinion, is those middling teams that keep getting promoted and relegated, the Norwiches or the West Broms. You know, just reading into this, some of the plans that they're proposing were essentially like higher payouts to the teams that finish higher in the Premier League. So I'll get another advantage to a Liverpool or a Manchester City. The other one that uh, the owner of Liverpool and Fenway Sports Group uh, was very upset about and is apparently very adamant was in, including this proposal was, was something called parachute payments. And essentially what this means is any Premier League team that has been relegated will receive over three years these parachute payments essentially to like soften the blow financially of being relegated into our lower team. So essentially one of the proposals in here from Rick Perry was to essentially just eradicate those parachute payments, which again, when we're thinking about the big picture, that feels like that impacts brutally like a Norwich or a West Brom. It's going to make it that much harder to try and get promoted again. Again, in theory, it sounds like an interesting, aggressive idea, especially in the pandemic to try and fund these lower leagues. But at the end of the day, in my opinion, it just feels like a way for the rich to get richer. It sounds like something that an American sports group would come up with. (laughs) (laughs) That's fair. That's totally fair. I am a little more curious, Nate, since you had brought it up before recording about the European Premier League. Yeah, so... What a a name, by the way. I'm like, as soon as I heard that, I was like, whoa? It's replacing one EPL for another, right? You can still have the same acronym and, and, and sleep soundly. And again, this is something that Manchester United, as well as Liverpool, is leading the initiative for. So now that this previous deal that we talked about got shot down, we're starting to hear talks about this European Premier League. Manchester United and Liverpool right now are working with different financers to assemble about $6 billion to help create this European Premier League. And what this would be is as many as five English clubs could set to join it with a provisional start date that they want to have set as early as 2022. According to some insiders, there's a handful of English sides that have been approached about joining this league already. Um, there's a couple of candidates to mention, such as Arsenal, Chelsea, Manchester City, and Tottenham. Well, makes sense it would be some of those top leagues. Sources have also said that FIFA, football's world governing body, uh, had been involved in developing the new format, which the expected composure of it is about 18 teams and would involve fixtures played during the regular European season. What is interesting to me and kind of sounds like just Champions League 2.0 is that the top placed teams in the league are then going to play a knockout style of soccer to conclude with a tournament with again prize money for the winners expected to be worth of hundreds of millions of pounds each year. Here are just some key things to know about this theoretical European Premier League. One of those too long didn't read kind of things obviously more than a dozen teams from england france germany italy and spain are said to be in negotiations not surprising at all those are all the biggest leagues in europe 
The format would comprise up to 18 teams with home and away fixtures played during the regular European season, top place teams in a knockout tournament, provisional start date early 2022. Uh, Wall Street Bank JP Morgan has been in talks to provide up to 4.6 billion pounds in funding, and the theory is that the tournament could potentially replace the Champions League. Especially with that talk of it replacing the Champions League, this could really just be doomed to fail from the start because I see that, according to some sources, that it would struggle to get that crucial approving from all these international governing bodies. Um, Sources also say that the National Association would need to get a grant from European licenses and there would be a big impact upon domestic leagues, which would be a considerable barrier for this creation. The official statement from UEFA said that the UEFA president has made it clear on many occasions that UEFA strongly opposes a Super League. The principles of solidarity, of promotion, relegation, and open leagues are non-negotiable. It is what makes European football work, and the Champions League is the best sports competition in the world. UEFA and the clubs are committed to build on such strength and not to destroy it to create a Super League of 10, 12, even 24 clubs, which would eventually become boring. And I really appreciate that statement. That's quite powerful coming from the UEFA. Yeah, and it seems like it's something that La Liga president Javier Tabas is also not on board with. In a statement, he said a project of this type would mean serious economic damages to the organizers themselves and those entitled that finance it, if they exist because it's never official. These underground projects only look good when drafted at a bar at five in the morning. Uh, that is, again, just very strong statements against this. And obviously at this time, like this story is still developing. Um, I think the problem I have with it more than anything is that this is... This would kill what the fun is of Champions League, right? I think one of my favorite things is like that group draw where it's those random teams that won their minor leagues, whether it's like, you know, Russia, Russia Super League or anything like that. Those clubs that get in, those Cinderella stories are what make the Champions League so exciting, right? So this just feels like it would kill off all that excitement of the underdogs. We'd only be watching the top teams in the world play. Yeah, I couldn't agree more with that. That's that's my thoughts exactly because the the countries that this would exclude, right? We would miss out on the Serbian teams as well as the Ukrainian teams as well. And I just think it just adds such an interesting dynamic to the tournament. Just to be devil's advocate with this though, I mean, how excited were we when we saw that we're going to have like Juventus against Barcelona and that's like a matchup that we really want to see. The same thing with seeing uh, you know, um, Manchester United versus PSG. But when those top teams end up facing off each other in those early stages, it, it makes it really exciting. But again, to your point, I think having these other teams be able to compete and, and just have the potential for a Cinderella story, like you do see some upsets. I mean, this would also effectively eliminate any teams from the Netherlands. So I love seeing Ajax every year in the Champions League. I wouldn't mind a miniature version of what they're proposing. Just something with like those ultra elite clubs just kind of duking it out. But I think the idea of this replacing the Champions League is just, it feels gross, right? The Champions League is just a special, I think as the UEFA president put it, like it is like one of the biggest spectacles in sports in the world. Yeah, this is a, if it's not broke, don't fix it for me with this. I'm just going to take my Champions League as is. I know how excited you were when Tottenham made the finals. Like that's that's the moments. Like it wouldn't be nearly as exciting if we only got to see the same what 12, 24, 18 clubs play every year. 
Uh, yeah, I mean, you're right because the thing is, it, it just loses that magic in some ways. Of course, it's still going to be an incredible opportunity to you know stand on that kind of center stage and say like if this kind of European Premier League were be to to move forward, I, I just do think that like if another club has the opportunity to stand on that center stage at the end of like this very long tournament that is the Champions League, they deserve to be there. And you know, you know, people wouldn't really have expected Tottenham to be where they were ten years ago. You know, they they're they're a new contender to the Champions League, and on the grand scale of how long the Champions League's been going on. So, if you take away and limit the amount of uh, competition in this, you're gonna miss moments like that. And just because of how important, that's just something that we don't see as American fans. But how important these smaller teams are to people that live in like these local communities over in in Europe. Yeah, like you're you talking ju- about. Think about Red Star Belgrade. Think about how absolutely insane those fans are. That is one of the beauties of Champions League. Is whenever they're in it, and I'm sure you're aware, Nate. Just like that fan base is terrifying, but also awesome. Absolutely. Yeah, it's like it's awesome because it's terrifying. I think that they can proudly wear that red star on their shirts because they know that they're going to, you know, have their day at Europe because they they do what they do best in their own league. I think just would be a shame to take that away from the fans as well as the players. I'll just leave it with this. I really much appreciate at the very least people thinking about these things. Like adapting is important, right? Especially as, you know, climate's change, you know, COVID's economic impact can't be overstated enough. So it makes me think about like what ways could we adapt these leagues and make sure that these smaller clubs survive. We may disagree with it, but at least there are people in power that are at least trying to make changes that could hopefully sustain, you know, some of these teams. And I, again, I don't agree with them, but they were very interesting to talk about and do a little research on. And moving on, we are going to go I honestly, we could have called this trash of the week, but we're still going to do this as wow, around the we net. Done a, we haven't done a trash. Of the, no, we can dub this trash of the week. It's been a very long time. It's been months since we've had a trash of the week. So I think, yeah. this, I think this deserves it. I think this deserves it as well because, I mean, trash of the week just kind of ended because it was just a weekly shit on David Louise. But now... <laughs> Now we have something that we need to talk about, and it's one of around one of the world's best players right now. Who it's it's very trashy, at least in my opinion. We can we can talk a little bit further about it, so. So Manchester City Arsenal, uh, and there was a moment uh, where Sergio Aguero got heated with female official Sean Massey Ellis. There was a verbal altercation, but as she was walking away, he put his hand to grab her by her shoulder and her neck, almost to grab her towards him. Upon watching it, it was it was not a good look. She brushed it off like a champ and just kind of went about it. But, you know, the impact this has had nationally uh, has, been, has been pretty su- staggering, and it's been widely criticized. I, I've found it quite interesting. The gesture was widely criticized, and, you know, for good reason. You can find this video if you look it up online. What was very controversial about it is, in the official rules for Premier League, uh, touching an official in a threatening or aggressive manner is illegal, can draw a yellow or a red card. Uh, the Premier League did not punish Aguero. They said the touching of the official was not threatening or aggressive. Respectfully, I think I have to disagree. Another pain point of this whole story for me, too, is the way that Manchester City's manager, Pep Guardiola, kind of just dismissed the whole thing in the press conference after the match. 
once he was asked about it, he immediately interrupted the journalist, essentially saying that it's a non-story claiming that Aguero is the nicest person that he's met in his entire life. Then on NBC Sports, Rebecca Lowe had a powerful reaction to the incident. She talked about how the situation reminded her of countless situations that she and other women are put in, whether professionally or personally. She even went in suggesting changing the language of how the rule is regarding contact with an official, especially now that there are female officials. Yeah, I definitely think that there's validity in that sentiment. There's a lot that's you know upsetting about this story for good reason. And every time I rewatch it, I'm like, it can't be as bad as I thought it was and just like every time i watch it it just doesn't leave a good taste in my mouth but i think something that's really disturbing to me as someone that's been in media in a while about media access is the fact that just officials aren't allowed to speak publicly about anything Uh, and i just think it's especially important in this instance i think it would be really important for us to you know account for sean's feelings about the situation great point tyler Also, I want to mention just another commentary from Men in Blazers, a very popular uh, soccer commentary show, and just how they even said, awful to watch, first time you saw it, and it gets worse and worse every viewing. There is zero way Aguero would have ever done this to a male official, zero. And that's something that I just kind of want to talk about in general as well as a person that played soccer, there's a special relationship that you have with the official on the field. And what I mean by that, there is an utmost level of respect that you have for that. Yes, you you see time and time again, we can have the side conversation of how you see football players dive and, you know, sometimes give a little bit of lip to the officials. But at the end of the day, there is that there's a reason why that each team has a captain. The captains are the ones that are supposed to be dealing with the officials. It's a speak when spoken to mentality. And I truly believe that if it wasn't the fact that it was, you know, someone that he was taller than, a woman that he could physically dominate within presence, I don't think he would have taken such an aggressive stance or even laid his hands on the official in the first place. And it's just a no in my book. And that's why, without a shadow of the doubt, that I'm giving Sergio Aguero trash of the week. Let's move on to that. Congrats again, Sergio. Uh, that's not one you want to end up with. Moving on, let's talk about something a little more interesting and actually kind of wild. The more I've read into this, the more unbelievable it seems. But Frank Lampard has actually named legendary Chelsea goalkeeper Petr Cech onto the team's 25-man Premier League squad as an emergency goalie. Uh, For those who don't remember Petr Cech, he had retired in May of 2019 after a four-year stint with Arsenal, but he's obviously most well-known for being Chelsea's goalkeeper from 2004 until 2015. Currently at the age of 38, Czech has spent the past year working as an advisor for Chelsea and working with the club's goalkeepers directly. Due to all the uncertainty at the position currently, Czech is now apparently to be working as an emergency backup for the team. Honestly, this is like one of the craziest things I've seen. I had kind of forgotten that he existed and it hasn't even been that long since he played. And I knew he had been doing like some work with Chelsea It's kind of like that advisor role, but just like the fact that we might actually see him, you know, dust off the cleats and go out there. I don't think it happens, but with all the uncertainty with COVID and all these players that have been getting it, it's even in Chelsea's team, you know, anything could happen and we, there's a chance we see him out there. Yeah. There's a lot of uncertainty at this time to say the least. And as Lampard said, officially he's fit, very fit. He's still relatively young. He finished playing when he possibly could have carried on. 
He has taken on his role at Chelsea very well, and he has been very helpful to me, and we work closely together. He trains fairly regularly, and he is fit. I just kind of say he's he's not young, you know? He's 38 <laughs> years old. I do think it's a great card to use if you got it, right? But it just really seems like an insurance policy for all the netminder problems that they have. Well, I, I think it's important that you had mentioned it uh, off the podcast. Uh, it's obviously worth mentioning that currently Petrcheck is not training with the active team. He is training separately, intentionally because he's being used as that in case of emergency, in case, you know, Mendy and Keppa go down with COVID or injuries. And that's it. We did it, Tyler. We we made it. We made another podcast after a week off, and it feels so good to be back. And with that, we got our last little segment here that I'm sure you all have been waiting for, the lovely Pub of the Week. Yes. Shout out to FTFC member Spencer, a friend of the show. I was out visiting him in Denver um, he had wanted to shout out, since we were in the area, uh, the British Bulldog at 2052 Stout Street. This is a spot known for its British, American, and Pakistani cuisine. It does welcome Arsenal, Tottenham, and Blackburn supporters. Shout out to Blackburn. Been a while since we've heard about them. Obviously, all soccer fans are welcome there. Great place to catch a sporting event, though. Whether or not it is a soccer match, they've got all kinds of sporting events going on there. And if you find yourself over at the British Bulldog, tell them the FTFC sent you. And with that, that's going to do it for us here at the First Touch Football Club podcast. And of course, we're leaving you as we leave you every week. There is no room for racism. <laughs>